Essentials, where we are going through Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs one minute at a time. I'm Andrew Dorowski. And I'm Kestra Dorowski. Today, we are joined by a guest. Uh, that word want... came out kind of funny. <laughs> do you want me to introduce her? Yes, Kestra. Introduce our guest. We are joined today by my friend, my really good best friend, Jackie. Hi. Yes. Jackie yes. is joining us, just like your friend Colleen joined us a yes. few weeks back. So we got your two best friends mm-hmm. to we be met, on the show. We met at college, and we've been obsessed with Disney, and we've gone to Disneyland together, and yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. it's the best. <laughs> we went to Disneyland together less than a year of knowing each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kester and I will not have done that. We're going to Disney World soon, but it's more than a year since we knew each other. Mm-hmm. D- Disneyland, Disneyland was, was in March, months after. and we yeah, met it was, in January. Yeah, it was a few months after a year. Okay, fine. You win. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and today we are discussing Minute 76 of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which begins with the hag saying, Fine, fine! And urging Snow White to take a bite of the apple, and it ends with vultures taking flight. So... When I was watching, the first the first note I took was of, it was briefly after the witch says, fine, fine, mm-hmm. now take a bite. Was it the sudden cut to the dwarfs? It was the sudden cut to the dwarfs, and it was specifically of Happy. Happy looks so angry. He looks I mean, furious. He has historically been extra violent. He is the one that said, um, cut off her head. Or cut off its head when they thought Snow White was a monster. And I think he said something... He just said something during the bath sequence. During the washing up when they were getting grumpy in the tub. I think he said something. So, like, he has a violent past, maybe? Yes. But it's happy. And, like, all the other dwarfs, yeah, they look furious and angry and, and scared and everything. But... But Happy was, like... He was furious. He was so furious. I was like, that's not Happy. That's not Happy. <laughs> it was Happy you ain't happy. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think maybe it's because he's happy that he has, like, this... He has the greatest rage at his disposal mm-hmm. when it's necessary. Like, happy people really don't like it when you hurt their friends. I want to say, like, but I don't know. That might not be necessarily, like, a standing rule, but I think there's something to be said about, like, happy people when they stop being happy is maybe the scariest thing. Yeah. I agree. I My note about the, the, like, sudden cut to the dwarfs was just, like, it's a really brief, intense cut. Because the music comes in so suddenly. Yeah, and... so, so like, they have music with, with Snow White and the Queen, and the, or the Hag. Um, like, there's music going as the Hag's, like, urging her. It's like, yes, come on. Like, you can see how excited she is for Snow White to die. And then there's this really, like, like, it's a powerful cut to the dwarfs galloping pretty much towards the camera um, from left to right. Like, they, it's, it's an angle, like, from deep... Into the screen, towards yeah. really close up on the yeah. on the camera, and the music is really intense. Like it's a very shocking cut, and then it cuts right back to the Queen and Snow White, and it's like it's a jarring cut, and it's very intense. And 
I think it really drives the, um, just like the tension of this moment. Because this is the last time we see the dwarfs before Snow White actually takes a bite. I, oh. So this is like the last moment you're thinking, it's like, it's going to cut the dwarves and they're going to like burst through the door and Snow White's not going to eat the apple. But it's like, no, this is the last moment before the queen like gets what she wants. I did not take note of that, but that is, huh. And it's, it's like, it's the tiniest cut. Like it's like it's, a couple seconds. Probably it, like three seconds or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, this seems just have seems to happen so fast. I like was like trying to take everything in, but that was well, and it's good like, observation. It's the sort of like fast cutting that you, like you get it in action movies a lot, especially mm-hmm. action movies that have different things going on in different places. And yeah, you can look at the Star Wars movies. A shout out to Star Wars Minute because they're the first movies by minutes podcast. Just letting everyone know, go check out Star Wars Minute. But um, like if you go through the first four films that they made. In the first film, the finale only has, like, one thread, and then it cuts back to the base, which is the thing that's actually under threat. Um, and it cuts back and forth, and you have, like, this really intense dogfight in, in space with all the the X-Wings and the TIE Fighters and the Y-Wings and the lasers and everything. And then you cut back to just, like, this desk where they're looking and seeing a timer countdown, basically. Um, and then you also cut inside the Death Star. So there's three different places it's cutting. Mm-hmm. But only one of them is action and intensity. Mm. Um, and the other two are this slower thing, which is sort of like the dwarfs running is the action and intensity. And then Snow White and the hag is this slower thing. And that tension's really palpable as you watch. Because um, you know that Snow White is going... If you know well, the you, story... Like, you, you don't know necessarily she... know, but, but if, if you, know... you know... If you know the story, you know she's going to take a bite and then... But they still drive home this, this tension. But they still... Yeah, and even if you don't know the story, you know that the apple is poisoned, mm-hmm. and so, so you know she's in danger. You know she's in danger, and that that like last week we were talking about how that was like scary to watch mm-hmm. and like intense. But she doesn't know it, and I think they play that as the dwarfs knowing she's in danger and Snow White not knowing she's in danger. So when you have the moments with Snow White, who's holding the apple, she's the one holding the danger. The music isn't demonstrating that danger it's dark and ominous but it's not intense or jumpy at all and so it that's sort of like a slow tension like a like a i'm gonna call it a sort of hitchcockian tension where it's sort of this slow build-up of things and it's not this like spiking intensity and then you get this little jump of the dwarfs and the music definitely helps with that Mm -hmm. intensity and then it cuts back to the witch. And, and, it, and the music is, is, is back down. Like, it gets quiet again. And the witch is like, yes, yes, she, she, yes She's yes. like, just keep yeah. going. Keep going. Like, Eat her it. posture is amazing. <laughs> where she's like, chill. it's like she's cheering on a racing course. She's like, come on, come on. She's got, like, one arm in front of her and she's, like, waving it. She said, don't let the wish grow cold. cold. Yeah, she's just is trying that, to, is no, that it's a not thing? a thing. She's just trying to, Okay. she's just, like, running that con. Yeah, because she, she's definitely being a con. Um, but, yeah, I, I was like, is that a thing? Or is she just still trying to persuade Snow White to eat this apple? I think she's, like, really anxious. Like, she's on the verge of blowing it right here. She's like, don't let the witch go cold. And then she's like, wait, wait don't say anything. Don't ruin this. Like, Snow White's <laughs> going to eat the apple. It's okay. 
get a hold of yourself. It's, yeah, it's it'll one of those all moments, go to my benefit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those moments where she's got like all these intense emotions, and she's letting it slip a little bit, and she's like urging her, it's like eat it now, eat it now, eat it now. Well, but then she... she like comes really close. I think she's about to really come unhinged <laughs> about it. All she wants is to be fairest in the land. But the way she looks at that point is she's definitely not fairest in the land, and we all know that. Yeah. True. <laughs> Which we have we have talked about, like, the irony of becoming what she became in order to... Get kill, what she wants. To kill the fairest. It's like, becoming ugly to become the fairest. It's so weird, but you do you, witch. But yeah, um, she's, she's super eager. And it doesn't cut back to the dwarfs until Yeah, because then later. Snow White... Snow White says, I feel strange. Yeah, like she, she takes, eats it and, she and she takes, she's starting to yeah. seem faint. And they don't show Snow White through any of this. Which I was mm. going to Do we ask. even see her? We don't even see her in this minute. Like, we've no. already seen her the last time we're going to see her before she's yeah. in the glass coffin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was I, last week. You see her hand, but that's about it. Yeah. But I was going like, to ask. her, her. Do you yeah. think, because we don't watch Snow White die, we see the the witch there and she's saying... Her breath will still. Yeah, her she's blood like reciting. She's, she's reciting, reciting the the spell. Yeah, and she, um, and uh, you see Snow White, or you hear Snow White like struggling with her breathing and 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 saying oh oh, and then she falls, mm-hmm. and all you see is her arm and, and the, the apple. apple falling away. Do you think there's a reason why they didn't show Snow White, like maybe for the I think, Kids, I think or... again, it's kind of the Hitchcockian thing where, like, okay. it, like the drama, you don't actually have to see exactly what's going on. Um, and I, like, this is a theory that goes into comic books a lot, too. Like, when they show somebody, like, raising an axe, and it, like, this is straight from Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud, and he talks about, he calls it blood in the gutters. Okay. And he says, like, in a comic book, if you see someone, like, raising an axe to an attack position, and then there's a panel of, basically exterior of the house and then you have like a scream sound effect in and I'm on a PF for a scream he's like you didn't see anyone get murdered you didn't see the axe strike anyone but your brain did your brain put it together and you have just killed that character in your mind which is like much more intense and it feels more personal and intimate than actually seeing um, the presentation of something it's, I mean it's the same thing people get you know really attached to books where they can visualize things mm-hmm. closely and then they feel upset when a film doesn't depict it exactly the way they imagined mm-hmm. it. You know, you feel a, a greater um, connection when it matches your expectation. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, like, you don't see Snow White eat the apple. You don't see what happens as she's feeling the effects. You just see what happens after. And so this whole time in your mind, you're creating what's happening to Snow White, which is probably much worse than anything they could have animated for it. Especially because even if they had animated it, like, she just passes out. It's not it's not a dramatic moment. But your mind feels all those emotions dramatically because you're not seeing it. But then also it's nice to see the witch react, the mm-hmm. hag react as like, this is all happening and she's like ready yeah. to see well, and then all, having everything her, she wants to have, have happen. Having her recite like the effects as they would be happening, like her breath will still and, and blood congeal, it means that you get to visualize that in a way that you wouldn't... Like, if you're seeing Snow White and her breath runs still, it's like you can kind of maybe see that she stopped breathing, but you can't see her blood congeal. Mm-hmm. Because it's 
like an external picture. They would have to do like a like a cutaway and show what blood congealing looks like internally. But instead, you're imagining what that feels like. You're feeling the blood congeal instead of trying to see the effects. So it is a combination of not showing Snow White, but also having the hag say those words. And, and it creates this... I mean, it's possible it even more effectively, instead of just having you imagine Snow White, you're imagining yourself experiencing that. Because if you're watching Snow White, then you're externalizing it. But when you're watching the hag say it, almost... I mean, she's not in complete profile. She's angled a little bit towards the audience. Um, but she's not facing the audience entirely like she had been in her study. Um, or her dungeon. But since she's got a little bit of an angle on it, you kind of feel like you're the one who's suffering what she's describing. And you internalize it. And you become you become Snow White in that moment. And you imagine what it's like for your breath to still and your blood to congeal. And, and then you just have these sound effects from Snow White's voice saying, I feel strange and, and fainting. Hmm. Never really thought about all that, but that, that makes more sense than it just being a children's film and they didn't want to show someone... And, I mean, there's nothing to show. ...fainting or dying or whatever. But, yeah. And in, but, but that makes more sense, and I like it that way, and I think that's probably what they were going for. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really effective like filmmaking technique and storytelling technique to have something important happen off screen, but make it very close and, and intimate. Like it, it is an intimate moment because you're feeling what the hag is describing is happening to Snow White instead of actually just seeing something which wouldn't be visually stunning or cinematic. Yeah. Um, they're, they're making you the victim. I like it. Yeah. Me too. Okay. <laughs> it's a really, it's a really dramatic like drop of the apple, like just that portion of her arm and the apple falling. It's and it's, rolling it's really and great. Landing perfectly straight up with just the bite. Out yeah, of the it. one bite. Um, I will note. I'm pretty sure she can't have fallen like that in that corner. The layout doesn't seem to work. And the way that she but, fell kind of makes it, or the way like that her she, arm is angled. Maybe she make sort it of seem... like crumpled. Maybe she like her she her like her like knees her bent her, her gate out underneath her yeah her legs bent okay. underneath her and she kind of like twisted some because like for her arm to fall like that her body must have turned around and her head would be down in the same direction her head fall her arm falls is that her left arm I don't remember which arm it was I thought it was her right well in that case she would have fallen kind of sideways like right side down. But in in either case, like, the way she falls would have to be crumpling downward and not, like, getting laid out flat. Especially because, like, if it was laid out flat, then she would have gone the opposite direction. Also, the space she was in didn't seem to have enough room for her to go flat. So I think she must have kind of folded... And then her upper body tipped away from the stack of, like, feet and legs and hips. And then her arm hit the ground. That makes more sense. Because otherwise it just wouldn't make any sense. She... Thinking, it could be possible that she even ended up... A little bit... Laying against the... It's like a chest of drawers that you can yeah. see um, towards the 
the front of the shot. But I don't know. But it doesn't really... It doesn't quite add up. Mm-mm. So, I mean, maybe if we had the actual model of the cottage, <laughs> of the cottage that someone supposedly had. But it's probably in the trash. Yeah. Or if Colleen could make one. Yes. If yes. Colleen could make one, like Colleen, she talked about. Colleen said she was possibly Which going to try and make one. I desperately do want. Come uh, on, Colleen. Get on it. <laughs> I'll let her know. I see her in the next few days. <laughs> it, uh, it doesn't make a ton of sense. The, yeah. The breakdown of how she must have fallen but the effect is no less impressive and no less effective um because of that which is a great element of filmmaking where if people are especially when the film is originally released if people are worried about things like that or mistakes like that then you're not making a good enough film yeah um but we're going minute by minute so we're (laughs) we're breaking it down people do find it when they you know watch things repeatedly um, yes. But if they find it the first time, then you haven't made a good enough film mm. to to captivate them and transport them and suspend their disbelief and everything like that. Um, I think that, that was a, something that Spielberg said with um, the first Indiana Jones film, because they have a stunt where they tip a truck over, and the mechanism for tipping the truck over, the, it's just like a big piston that drops down on one side and pushes it up, and then it's supposed to come back in so that it it's hidden again and it didn't do that in the shot and when the stuntman told him like hey steven um like the thing didn't come back in and it looks like it's like the width of a telephone pole sticking out of the bottom of the truck it's like oh that's how they tipped it over and spielberg said like if people notice that then we're not making a good enough film (laughs) and they were making a good enough film and people love the movie like it's the first indian jones movie it's one of the greatest movies ever and I, I heard all of this listening to the Indiana Jones Minute, so go check out the Indiana Jones Minute. Lots of shout-outs today. Um, yes. But I didn't even... I'd never thought about it until I heard them talk about it, and then when I watched it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's totally obvious. But I'm so involved in the story and the moment and the scene and the drama that's going on. I'm like, no, I don't care. Like, even knowing it, I'm like, I don't care. This is still really effective and totally transports me. And that's the sign of a good movie. And I think with, with Snow White, like, even that now that I've thought about it, if I watch the movie, like, I'm not going to care. It's not going to make it any less effective mm-hmm. as a sequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, before we jump over to the next cut in the scene, which goes back to the dwarfs, mm-hmm. uh, well, is it goes, does it go back to the dwarfs or is it the queen coming it, out the, of the... I think she comic. comes out because she's yeah, like, yeah. she's like I'm the fairest and there's a thundercloud because suddenly it's a rainstorm. Yes, that is my, that okay. is my thing. Because it's very sudden. It, it is was, so sudden. It was yeah. real nice earlier. Apparently, according to the book, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the creation of classic, uh, it says that the first drop... Um, the first raindrop fell just as Snow White succumbed to the apple. And then it got more intense. It got and, very intense very quickly. And, <laughs> yeah. Really quickly. Like, this thunderstorm came out of nowhere. But, like, the, the, the darkness was hap- was starting to... Like, the Coming dark clouds as, as, as the... the dwarves were rushing towards the cottage. Right. But the raindrop first fell when Snow White essentially collapsed collapsed and and then it as she's leaving as the witch is leaving 
Well, she says, like, I'm now, fair, I'm, now, now, I'm now I'm the, the fairest, and the there's thunder and lightning, mm-hmm. and she's leaving, and now there's, like, a huge thunderstorm. And... Yeah, so, and then she steps out, and then the dwarfs, um... See her. They see her, and they're like, there she is, and all the animals are running. I had a question. Would that horde of animals be frightening to you? Because there's, like, a lot of bunnies and squirrels and chipmunks. And they're so cute! But they're angry. I know. The deer would scare me. The deer are worth running away from? Yes. Especially okay. if they have, like, the bucks. Like, some of them the, do. The antlers. That, the antlers, yeah. That's... I've run away. Okay. I'd say that's, <laughs> they can hurt that's me. good, but, like, also, that's a lot of small animals, and I could see that being, like, fairly scary. Mm-hmm. To see so many squirrels coming at you. Yeah. And if the... they had if they had more of that possum thing from earlier, mm. that'd be terrifying. That thing was crazy. It was huge. It looked Just, like a giant rat. It, it, we was, figured huge. it, it was supposed to be a possum, probably. One second of the cleaning song. And uh. it's just in the background. And it's just but it... so weird. But here's the question. Okay. How far away do you think the turtle is from them? I was going to bring that up later, because... You don't see the turtle again. Mm-mm, so sad. I wanted to see him again. He's probably way back there. Yeah. Because they, not only have they been like traveling for a little bit, but they've been traveling very fast. Who knows? Maybe he went to check on Snow White while they were all so dealing maybe he, with the hag. He, <laughs> I, he didn't take a bite of the apple. Oh. He like sees her. He's like, "Are you okay? Is it this?" And he like takes a bite. Sad. Oh. I hope that doesn't sad. happen. Who's gonna kiss the turtle? His I will. <laughs> his little chipmunk friend, his buddy, his best buddy his in the whole buddy, world. His best buddy, yes. Which, um, I, wish that, I wish that chipmunk friend had been around him more often. That would have been a great pairing. Just saying, Disney, you missed it on that one. Yeah. Um, but in I, with with the witch seeing the dwarfs for the first time, this is where I wanted to bring up something else from the book. Okay. It says that. This is, it, I mean, it's obvious, but um, if you think about it, this is the first moment of interaction between the queen and the dwarfs. Mm-hmm. And in the Grimm's version, it says that it doesn't, uh, the books, the, the creation of a classic book says that there is no real interaction and the witch mm-hmm. escapes and she, like, o- only gets captured um for the wedding, like right before mm-hmm. the wedding, it, does that? That's consistent with my copy. It, there's not really a, a connection between the witch and the dwarves at all. So why do you think they they added this part? Because there's, do you think it's because there's a connection between the audience and the dwarfs more here than there might be in the? I think the Grimm's version, version? like the finale for the witch in that version, which we'll talk about later this week, yeah. is isn't really suitable for this Disney version. Like it's. It's kind of a gross Grimm's ending, um, which is, I mean, it's pretty typical in the Grimm's fairy tales. Um, right. And it's not really suitable for the way we typically think of a fairy tale, especially not a Disney-adapted fairy tale. Right. And so I think this was just kind of the first step in establishing, like, we can take these fairy tales and these stories, and we are adapting them to our tone and our needs and it's a very you know it's it's disney is setting a precedent for for what's going to be the future of the movies and saying you know this is the tone that we are doing and we're going to wrap it up and 
and do the finale. And I think part of it is just they've built all this tension and it's time to wrap it up. So this is the climax. So the only way that they would be able to wrap it up is with the dwarfs chasing the chasing queen. Chasing the queen? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, if, if they... It, like, I mean, they've hurried back from the mine and everything. And compared to the Grimm's version, they've already cut out two of the version, two of the attempts on Snow White's life. Right. So they've already changed it significantly. I think they're going for a very classic movie finale. Okay. Especially if you... I mean, I was going to talk about this later, but if you listen to the music, this is, like... It's practically silent film score at this point, where you have this this building orchestral score that's, like, playing and, and moving and moving and moving, and nobody's really saying anything. This sequence is practically a, a swashbuckling silent film sequence, and very much the, the ending of a swashbuckling silent film, where there's just going to be, you know, fights on staircases or on rocks, and chasing, and a lot of moving that's maybe even a little bit sped up, and it's high tension, and they build the music... And then the villain will get their comeuppance or die or, or, you know, there's the last duel and the hero kills the villain and then it ends more or less, right. you know, very quickly. And this is, I'd say, you know, it's an early filmmaking style, which is the tradition that Walt Disney had experience with. I, you know, if you compare this, I'm sure, to a lot of silent films, it's it's more consistent with that where you've had kind of this comedy stuff and then you get to this dramatic finale and it's the conclusion and you've got the big pounding music and you get the last action beat and then you resolve everything in the next five minutes. And I love I, the it's, music. It's, it's, it, it's but great. But when you think about it, like you can imagine it being played on a black and white silent film. Yeah. We watched Singing in the Rain recently and so we think of it like the, <laughs> the, the, the the, the counts, the the roguish count or something, the, you know, all these things. The, that, yeah, cav, cav, uh, cavalier. The cavalier. It was the one. It was the title Cavalier's before it became the, the the dancing cavalier. Yeah. But whatever before, the film. Before it was like the dancing cavalier. Yeah. But you know, you can imagine this music being played with the silent films that they're showing at the beginning of the movie, and it's just you know building to this finale, and they they build the tension, and then you know, and then you know something happens. And the villain's gone, and then the movie ends pretty soon after that. Right. Um, and, and the dinema is really abbreviated in those films compared to some of the things you get in modern films. They they tend to drag it out for maybe twice as long, and even then it feels, you know, very differently resolved. So I think they're just um, leaning towards the tradition they were most familiar with, which is, you know, 1920s, 1930s, 19-teens black and white silent films. I agree. I agree. I've used up all my notes Me and then too. some. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I was digging deep into, into I talked a lot in this episode. It's um, all good. Well, <laughs> you, you had all the insight for the, all those thoughts and facts and stuff and I, I like your brain. <laughs> You're not biased. saying that's the only thing I married you, you for. <laughs> you married yes. him for? I married him for. I thought you said marriage. I don't think so. But okay. anyway, <laughs> if you want to find out, just listen to this episode again. <laughs> we shall see. But we'll wrap things up today, and we will be back tomorrow. But be sure to find us on Facebook. Go to the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society, or Damsels. 
and you can share links and you can uh, share theories, you can make comments. It's a it's a good place. There's been a lot of action these last couple weeks. And it's also going to be a great place to hang out until we come back with our next film, which will be Little Mermaid, or as I'm planning to call it, The Little Merminute. And be sure to share us with your friends, your family members, people you know, people you don't know. Um, download the podcast on anyone's phone you can get a hold of. And most importantly, come back tomorrow for more of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Until then, just whistle while you work. Whistle while you work.